you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. No, it's, it's actually odd. We, we, were, we were supposed to be going to uh, India during this time to, to actually work with, with uh, Sudarshan Kamanapali and Man of Ministries. Uh, those of you who are with us when he spoke know the amazing work that they're doing. And uh, <clears throat> because of some of the unrest going on in the Middle East, uh, United, the airline that we fly with for ministry, decided to cancel all their flights to India until October. So we weren't able to go there. And my mother-in-law was gracious enough to say, well, she still wanted to watch my kids, so praise God for mother-in-laws. And uh, so we, we, we snuck away, got away for a little bit. It was good. It was nice. We did run into the Campanos while we were on the island, which was great. Uh, very unexpectedly, but it was awesome. And uh, I want to thank Pastor Doug for, for doing a fantastic job. Come on. Covering the pulpit. Uh, listened to the podcast and was absolutely blown away. I don't know why I was blown away. The dude's been doing this for 35 years. Like, why I'm not just like, oh, we suppose that was what it was going to be. Uh, but he did absolutely amazing, and uh, I thank him for that. It's, it's wonderful as a pastor to be able to leave and know that uh, there, there's still quality in the pulpit. Amen? That you guys aren't lacking for anything. But uh, I, I am back, and so um, I just want to warn you, I didn't preach last week. I didn't preach the week before. So the way I look at it is I owe you guys three sermons. So just I hope you're comfortable. Um, if not, pray really hard um, for comfort because we're going to be here a while. Uh, no, I, I, I kid. Let's, let's go ahead real quick and just review really fast. We're in, we're in John chapter 4, uh, and we're talking about worship. I just want to cover this really, really quickly. Um, kind of we, We've laid this out over the past few weeks. Um, as we look at this passage and we look at worship and what worship is and, and what Jesus is teaching us here about worship, we saw these four things I said were kind of the, the primary framework through which we were going to be spending a little while and looking through these uh, together. So the first was that worship is first about God, then about me. This is the now infamous seeker-sensitive message that caused several of you to have anxiety attacks and send me emails, I'm not even kidding, and text messages and glaring at me. Um, I made the statement that week that we are called to be a seeker-sensitive church. In case you're not familiar with that uh, wording, uh, the seeker-sensitive movement was a movement birthed out of the church growth movement in the late 90s, early 2000s that pretty much said we need to do everything we can in our services to make people who don't like church like church, which is only the church is dumb enough to think that that business model would work. Like no coffee shop is like, you know what we need to do? We need to make the coffee shop not like a coffee shop so people that don't like coffee shops will come to our coffee shop. Uh, nobody ever thinks that way. But somehow the church thought if we, if we got rid of Jesus, more people would want to find Jesus. Um, and so we, we got rid of things like reading scripture in church. We got rid of things like preaching the gospel. We got rid of the name of Jesus. And we said, well, we'll just talk about people's felt needs and teach you 17 ways to have a better business and 14 ways to have a healthier marriage. And listen, I hope you have a great business and a healthy marriage. But the, the, the purpose, come on, of the gathering of the saints is not for the, that type of seeker because the Bible says that those people actually aren't seeking at all. But rather the scriptures teach us that God and God alone is the seeker. And so my statement about us needing to be a seeker-sensitive church is that we need to be sensitive to the Father, 
He was looking for worshipers. And we need to do everything we can do and in everything in our control to shift all of this to his preference. Come on, to his design and his desire. Next, we saw that worship is about real life. It's not about some disconnected, uh, out there somewhere. I thought Doug did an absolutely amazing job unpacking this, that our lives are the generators of worship, that worship generates an aroma in our lives. I love the way he talked about us being the burning ones that, that send up an aroma of worship Come on, in all that we do, in all that our lives encompass. Then we saw that worship isn't about a place, but about a posture Worship is about our hearts and our heads. Lindsay gave us a great check with her message asking us how our hearts were. Come on, how's your heart in worship? Are you just kind of going through the motions? Is it just sort of a religious ritual? Or is your heart engaged in the exaltation and exaltation of Jesus? And we'll continue to touch on these as we move forward. So now what I want to do is just kind of head back into the text, make sure that we're all together in this. So if you've got a Bible, John chapter 4, Verse 16 through 29 is where we're going to be today. John chapter 4, verse 16 through 29. Will you grab a Bible, grab a, a flat screen out of your pocket with a Bible on it, stand to your feet. We're going to read God's word together. I say this a lot. I mean it. We don't stand just to, to be religious or to make you feel uncomfortable. We stand because you're going to be sitting a long time when I preach. <laughs> this is your last chance to stretch your legs. No, we stand, come on, to show reverence and honor to the word of God. If you've been here before, you know this statement is true. Much is about to be said, but what we're about to read, we know is the living, active, breathing word of God. The thing upon which we build our lives, the thing upon which we structure everything, the, 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 the framework through which we understand everything and all things at all times. So John chapter four, verse 16, Jesus has been having a discussion with a woman at the well, and Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. You have said What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Just find awesome. He, he, he airs all of her garbage, and she's like, you're a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worship on, worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Highlight, circle, underline, very important statement that Jesus is making here. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I, had ever, uh, that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Church, let's, let's bow our hearts and pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you for the privilege 
to be back with these people, to gather again with this company and to turn our attention as we've turned our affection toward you, to set our eyes to seek your face, to set our hearts to search after you, because we know that you've promised us that if we search for you, we will find you. If we seek you, we will find you. So we as your people now come together and we ask, God, that you would speak to us, that in this moment you would be faithful to your promise and that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear you, that we would have the ability to hear what it is that you would say to us as your people, that your voice would not be far from us and our ears would not be hard to hear, but they would be opened and receptive and attentive to your word to what it is that you would say. God, that we would be transformed by hearing but also receiving your word, that we would not, we would not be stiff-necked or hard-hearted against what we hear, though it might offend our, our own consciousness of, of what we think to be right or wrong or where we think we find our meaning or our purpose. God, we would realize that the word you give us, even though sometimes it may be hard, is always and forever for our good and your glory. So we ask for the ability to receive it today, for it to transform us and for us to walk out of here as what we learned last week, as burning ones taking the aroma of heaven everywhere we go, letting worship permeate the very fabric of who we are for your glory and the good of all people. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, high five, low five, fist bump a few people. Go ahead and grab a seat. Y'all are friendly this morning. You're just making the sermon go longer. I'm just telling you. I'm just. Um, so we're, we're, we're diving back into this. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. If you're not using the booklets the team have put together, I would highly encourage you to do so. They're fantastic tools for digging into what it is that God is speaking to us. If you're taking notes, uh, I'd like to talk to you this morning from, under the title, From Water to Worship. If you're familiar with this passage, you know that before what we just read, Jesus had been having a conversation with this woman about water, about living water specifically. And they'd gone through that. If you want to learn a little bit more about that, you can go back and listen to the podcast. I don't have time to recover all of that. But, but the, the question that sort of gripped me is I tried to read this passage this week uh, with, with fresh eyes and try to think of somebody just sort of casually reading through this, uh, I, I think if you, if you follow along with it and you're honest with yourself, the question that kind of comes to mind is why is this suddenly about worship? They've been talking about water, right? They've been talking about her need for water, his request for her to give him water, his statement back to her that he doesn't actually need her water, that he has better water than she has, which rightly confuses her, <laughs> And then all of a sudden, it takes this shift, this turn, as he begins to kind of dig into her life. As she makes the request for this water, he, he, he begins to speak to her about her life, and she instantly shifts to worship. Why is this passage suddenly about this? Why did she ask about worship, and why does Jesus launch into one of the longest dialogues we have uh, in the book of John with him talking to an individual? 
And what we realize when we actually scratch past just the surface is that this, this whole passage, come on, is, is, really, is really about worship. Remember, I said this earlier, that Jesus went there. He, he goes to this place. There's this weird little phrase in, in the beginning of John chapter 4 that said he needed to go to Samaria. The God of the universe who created and sustains all things, the scriptures just told us, needed to go somewhere. Why? Because Jesus went there to redeem a place by redeeming a people by redeeming a person. That's the way God works, always and forever. He's redeeming places by redeeming the people that live there by redeeming individual persons. Lots of Christians, especially those of us from a charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit-filled, pick your poison, whatever your name that you like better or offends you the least, uh, sort of will talk a lot about wanting to see grand revival sweep a city. But we forget sometimes that it starts and is sustained one person at a time. So Jesus goes there. He has a purpose for going there. He has a purpose for seeking after her. And that purpose is that he knows that she somehow holds the key that if he can, if he can redeem her, come on, she'll redeem a people. She'll, through her, he'll be able to redeem a people that will be able to redeem the place that has, that has fallen into these problems. And the root issue here, the root issue here is that they worshiped in ignorance, which kept them bound to unbelief, which caused their lives to be ruled by futility. See, what, what kept this place in bondage was the fact that they worshiped, he said, what they did not know. Generations in the past, a schism, a break, a, a separation had happened in the people of God. And this part of, the, this part of the, the people that broke off decided that they wanted, listen, they wanted to do worship their way. That they, need, they didn't need to follow the way that was laid out by the Father to them. And of his graciousness that he had shown them how to worship, they said, no, 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 we can worship our own way. We can do things the way we like it. And what that caused was a, a drifting, come on, away from the truth. This, 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 uh, this desire to do things our way literally is nothing new. It's literally where everything began to go wrong was when we decided, our, our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve decided they were going to eat of the tree of the what? The knowledge of the what? Of good and evil. Showing us what they decided was we can pick for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. How we should worship, how we should not worship. What we should do, what we should not do. So Jesus is going after the root issue here of their ignorant worship, which caused in them, come on, kept them to be bound to unbelief. The reason they couldn't believe was because they were ignorant as to what they were worshiping. And their, 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 their bondage to unbelief caused their lives to be futility. What I'm, what I'm trying to say here is this, is that Jesus is fixing a root problem, not a fruit problem. See, her, her problem, we, we see the problem of the people through one person. Are you, are you tracking with that? See, her inability to stay with a man was a fruit problem, not a root problem. Notice this. I mean, if you, if you look, Jesus never seems to rebuke her for this. Five husbands and she's shacking up with a dude. Clearly, a, a Jewish rabbi, which Jesus was, would have said that that was sinful. Amen. I'm not trying to bring condemnation on anybody who's walking through a journey. I'm just teaching you what the Bible says. That's, that is not the way we would say it here. That is not God's ultimate design or intention for your life. 
five husbands and shacking up with a dude. Not God's best life now. I love you. Yet Jesus doesn't seem to deal with that. He seems to follow track right along with let's deal with the real root problem. Let's deal with this worship issue that's going on in your heart. Because the worship issue is the root problem. The man issue is the fruit problem. Now remember this. As, as we walk through this text, we're just, we're just kind of getting a refresher here this morning. Remembering the text, kind of working our way through it again. That Jesus is not just doing what he's doing to do what he's doing. But Jesus is teaching us how to walk in what we've been calling around here the new. We learned this in John chapter 3. Remember that, that we are made new, come on, in the new birth. Do I have to re-preach all those messages, or are y'all tracking with me? Well, we're made new. We're not, just, we're not just an improved version of our old self. Come on. We're not just morally enhanced. We don't just swear a little less. But we're actually made new. Like a caterpillar transformed into a butterfly, we are made into something that we previously were not, given capacities and abilities that previously we were not able to hold on to. You can do things as a born-again believer that were impossible for you to do previously. And Jesus is actually showing you in these texts all the things, listen to me, that you are capable of doing. You are capable of, of, of pushing past the fruit problems and getting to the root problems in the people's lives that God sets you into contact with. Come on, that's good news. That means you don't gotta get into all the weeds of everybody's drama. You can cut right through and go, no, this is really the problem. This is really what's going on in your life. This conversation was not just for her benefit, but listen, for our edification through education. He's teaching us how to do this. What he's telling us is that we are all, come on, we are all born ignorant worshipers. All of us are born ignorant worshipers. And when we are born again, we are given the sight to see something very profoundly important. And here's what it is. Everything is worship. Everything is worship. All is worship. Before our new birth, we may have held this false notion. Come on, did you hold this like I did? That there were, there were spiritual things and there were secular or, 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 or practical things. Some stuff was sacred or religious or spiritual. Other things were just sort of normal and, and practical and, and tangible. And those two things really didn't interact much with each other. God's great and all, spiritual is cool and all, but, but I have these things I need to do. And what we see once we step through the veil, once we are born again, is there is no separation between those two things. Everything that we do, come on, is worship. Every ounce of our lives is worship. There's no separation for, because Jesus is the rightful owner and sustainer of all things. I love the way Abraham Kuyper one of my favorite theologians and philosophers, he said this, oh, no single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. <laughs> Come on, Jesus made everything, he sustains everything, he redeemed everything, he, he, he is owed worship in Everything, not just in our little, you know, singing time in church on Sunday morning, not just on the Lord's day, not just when you go to a Bible study with some friends, not just in your little quiet time in the morning. He owns everything all the time and all is worship. 
all is designed to bring exaltation and glory and honor to his name. That is what we have to realize. This conversation was always about worship. She's playing catch up. She's just now caught up to what Jesus was trying to talk about the whole time. She didn't make this turn. Jesus made this turn. He told her that her worship, that she worshiped what she didn't know, that there was an ignorance there. He shifts this to what she needs to see. What Jesus is trying to reveal to her, though, is that there's this deeper thing happening in her heart. There's this, deeper, there's this deeper disconnect taking place in her heart, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think it's taking place in many people's hearts, both believer and non-believer. And that is this, that, that her life had been overcome with the search for three things, security, identity, and felicity. That her life had been overcome by this, this need, this, this drive, this desire to, to fulfill these needs. And so what happens is we give worship, please follow me here, we give worship to things that we think will give us these things, and then what happens is any little taste we get of these things only causes and elicits a response of more worship toward them. But when they're lesser things, they're incapable of meeting the true need. They're powerless to give our souls what it actually needs. So they make us empty promises. We see this even in modern secular philosophy, Maslow, you, if anybody study philosophy or, or, or psychiatry, you're probably familiar with this. This is Maslow, who I'm not telling you to study. He was a, 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 a Jew by descent and was raised in an Orthodox Jewish family, chose to leave that community because he felt like it was empty and hollow, but then found the world empty and hollow as well. So he decided that what was really going on was we needed a structure outside of religion that would be able to tell us what we really needed, and he created this, what he called this hierarchy of need or his pyramid of need. Certain senses, this is, this is true, but I think this one overcomplicates and denies the reality that none of us are able to climb said pyramid. See, I've, I've sort of tried to simplify this and realize that I think we're really just looking for three things, security, identity, and felicity. By security, I mean I want to know safety, security, and stability. I want, I want to know that what I have isn't going to be taken from me. I want to feel like I'm safe. I want to feel like, like, like my world isn't going to suddenly flip upside down outside of my control. By identity, I mean I want to know who I am, come on, and why I am. Why am I here? Why am I sucking air? Why am I, why am I existing? I want to feel like I belong somewhere because of who I am. I want to know me, and I want other people to know me and actually accept me, searching for identity. I'm also searching for felicity. I want to know true happiness and fulfillment. I want to know true joy. Listen, the human heart was built for joy. I know religion has snuck in and said, no, you're supposed to be miserable. That's why everybody has to serve in an area of ministry they don't like. Because if, if you like it, it doesn't count. <laughs> If you don't look like you were baptized in lemon juice, clearly you're not spiritual enough. That's absolutely false. God designed our hearts to be filled with joy. That's why anything less than joy, listen, is miserable. That's, that's by divine design. 
I want to know joy, true, lasting, abiding, non-fading happiness that doesn't leave me feeling empty or icky. And the human heart is searching for this. This is what she was looking for. She's looking for security, identity, and felicity. I want to know, I want to know, I want to know safety, I want to know me, and I want to know joy. And she's searching for these things. And what she's doing is she's, her, her fruit of this search was that she went to men to try to find all these things. Make me secure. Let me know that I can, I can survive in this culture, in this society where at that point in history, women were, were not at the same level as men. So she would find a man to try to attach herself to. And when that didn't work out because he died or because he ran off or because we don't know why, she'd just move on to another one and move on to another one and move on to another one and move on to another one. Because she's searching for these things. She's looking for these things. But until we recognize that these driving factors are driving our lives away from what will truly satisfy us, we will continue, even, listen to me, even post-conversion, if we don't recognize this, we will, we will continue to experience a crippling emptiness and a lack of satisfaction that is so fleeting it is pathetic as long as we go looking in other places for these things. Many of us don't even realize that this cycle is what happens. We, we, we look for security, we look for identity, we look for felicity, and we, we find a little bit of it. Come on, there's always a little bit somewhere. There's always a little bit somewhere. So then we begin to worship that thing. We begin to give our affection and our attention to it, hoping to get a little bit more, and it gives us just enough to keep us addicted to it. Just enough, but never to actually satisfy Never to actually fulfill. Never to actually make good on the promises it said it would. If you buy the bigger house, you'll be happier. Except the bigger house came with a bigger payment, which means you have to work more to pay for said house, and oh, 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 you hate your job. (laughs) And the reason you hate your job is because you went to your job hoping that it would be the thing that would give you security and identity, and it didn't. So then you went looking for a house, and then you went looking for a wife, and then you went looking for kids, and then you went looking for a vacation, and then you went looking for a boat, which is dumb. (laughs) That's where you should have realized, like, this is, I'm on the wrong path. Because the two greatest days in a boat owner's life is the day they buy their boat and the day they sell their boat. So, so we, 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 we fill our lives with all these things that give us little glimpses of it, but can never actually deliver on the promises they make us. And so we're stuck in this trap that we don't realize is actually us worshiping these things to try to get these things. And Jesus was trying to get her and us to see that Jesus is what she is looking for. I didn't have time to read it because I would have had to go all the way back to the beginning, but he, he says these words to her at the beginning of their conversation. If you knew the gift of God and who was standing before you, you would ask me for something to satisfy your soul. What he's trying to get her to see is he is, come on, the gift. But, but I don't mean this in some metaphoric, un, you know, intangible, separated from reality sort of way. I mean this very practically, very boots on the ground, very real. That I'm, I mean that Jesus, in Jesus, is found... Security is found in Jesus. Identity is found in Jesus. Felicity is found in Jesus. It's found in him. In Jesus is the only place you're going to find the reality of these things. 
He, is, he doesn't have the gift of God. He is the gift of God. Everybody else that's ever walked to this planet that's tried to teach spiritual truth has said, I have or I know. Jesus said, I am. My wife and I decided to, to do something uh, while, while we were on the Big Island. There's a, there's a hike that we did. We were on the Big Island two years ago. And most of you know, I, I've shared openly that I, I had a, a really what was a, a crippling heart condition uh, previously, and, and I, I lived with it for many, many, many years where I, I had the symptoms of a heart attack almost all the time. I had a resting heart rate of about 120 to 130. My heart rate would spike up to over 200 for no reason whatsoever, and I'd be in pain. I, couldn't, I could barely go on a, a decent walk with my family, let alone, you know, exercise. Um, I jokingly said, but sort of truthfully said that I had a doctor's note that I didn't have to go to the gym. And, uh, and, and two years ago, I was still dealing with this problem, and, and, and my wife and I decided, you know what would make a lot of sense is in the middle of the hottest part of the day, we should take a two-mile, 1,200-foot descent hike <laughs> down to an area where the local people killed white people that found their island, and uh, let's go celebrate that. And uh, so we hiked down... And uh, we went there, we hung out for a while, and then it was great going down. It's beautiful, it was gorgeous. There's this, uh, the trail at that point was being uh, taken care of by this guy. He had some signs up saying that he needed help to keep taking care of it, but it was nice, it was open, there's gorgeous views of the water. It was a beautiful area to swim around with these gorgeous tropical fish. And then we decided, oh yeah, we have to hike out of here. So two years ago, uh, without being dramatic, I, I nearly died on the hike out. Uh, heart spiked, didn't know, Ty had to leave me to try to hopefully either I would just make it out on my own or she would find somebody with a four-wheeler that could come down and get me out and whichever one happened first, we would celebrate. And, uh, and, and thankfully, just to you know, alleviate the shock, I made it out alive. <laughs> um, and so uh, m- most of you know, back in October of 2018, I was miraculously healed in a moment by, by the Lord and my heart has been healed ever since and I've been uh, now have to go to the gym. Um, so uh, my doctor's note was rescinded and um, I have to go work out now. And so it, I, we, we decided, you know what we need to do while we're here? We need to redo that hike. We, we said we need to redeem that hike. We need to go back down, hike down there. Let's not do it at noon, but let's go down there and, and back out. And, and so we did, but I bring all that up, uh, one, just to continue to give glory to God for that healing because I'm so grateful for it. But, but also, uh, in that two years, those signs that that guy had put out were true. He was done taking care of the path. And the government doesn't have any money to take care of the path, so the, the path is still there. But hear me, the weeds have grown up to the point you can't see the path. And so as we, as we hiked through this, this and, and, and we're trying to make our way back out after, after spending some time down at the water, we're, we're hiking back out. And the, the brush was so thick that even though my wife was only two or three feet in front of me, sometimes I couldn't even see her. And I realized something at that moment, that the, the answer for that was to look down, to, to watch the path, to stare at the path. And it was at that moment I had this thought that that's what it means that Jesus is the gift. He, he, he's, not, he's not a guy at the top of the hill saying, I can tell you where the path is. He's not even a guide that says, if you follow me, you'll know your way on the path. But he's saying, I am the path. Keep your eyes focused, come on, on me, because I am the gift. Stop looking at all the other stuff, trying to figure out how to find your security, how to find your identity, how to find your felicity. No, 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 realize that keep your eyes on me. I am the gift, I am the path. 
So he sets himself that way. He's trying to get her to see this. Come on, our security is found in Jesus. The giftedness, not giftedness, the giftness. That's a word, right? The part of Jesus that is the gift. The giftness, we're just gonna go with it. The giftness of Jesus. Again, get this please, it's not a metaphor. We like to make it a metaphor. Oh, he's like our security. No, he is, come on, he is your security. He is your security. He will never leave you or forsake you, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. He has provided all you need for life and godliness in himself, 2 Peter 1, 3. He holds us and no one can pluck us out of his hand, John chapter 10, verse 28. Our identity, come on, is found in Jesus. In Christ you are born again, John chapter three. In Christ you are a son of God, Galatians 3, 26. In Christ you are his bride, Revelation 19, seven through nine. In Christ you are a member of his body, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. In Christ you are beloved, Colossians 3, 12. In Christ you are saints, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. In Christ you are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In Christ you are an ambassador of his kingdom, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. In Christ you are an agent of his agenda, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. These are real, actual things. These aren't just sort of metaphoric, like out there, yeah, I have my identities in Christ. It's an Instagram post I put up at least once a week. It's great. No, you really are those things. You really are born again. You really are a son. You really are a saint. You really are his bride. You really are his ambassador. You really are being used to fulfill the purpose of God in your generation. Those things are real and tangible. Our felicity is found in Christ. Jesus is, come on, your joy. We're going to get here as we read through the rest of John over the next 26 years. But <laughs> John chapter 15, verse 11, he says that I, I'm saying all these things to you as my people so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete, full, overflowing. He is your joy. Jesus gives us his joy, which makes our joy complete. And here's what you've got to realize. Joy is fueled by our ability to see Jesus. The clearer, the more accurate, the more truthful, the more real you see Jesus, the more joy you're going to have in your life. Because he is, come on, your felicity. And that joy fuels our worship of Jesus. Well, come on, that, that was worth coming to church for. So the more you see Jesus, hear me, the more you see Jesus, the more we are filled with joy. And the more we are filled with joy from seeing Jesus, the more we worship Jesus. See, the same tool, the same tool, the same hook that the enemy uses to try to keep us addicted to things that don't satisfy is actually him trying to twist the very thing that God put in us to keep us, to keep us connected to him. That as we see him, we worship him. As we worship him, we see him. Until eventually it becomes this point where what's, what's happening first? Am I seeing him or am I worshiping? I don't know and I don't care. Because they're just feeding one another. It's reciprocal. It's reciprocal. It's reciprocal. See, as we are made new, we are given the capacity to see God's providential hand in every area of our lives. This is, this is my point. We, we don't just see God in some areas and not in others. We see him everywhere. We see him everywhere in all circumstances, in all things. This sight fuels our worship and propels us to levels of joy previously unattainable due to our ignorance. 
See, we see his leading not only on the mountaintops, but in the valley of the shadow of death, for we know that he is with us, and his authority and power are in our lives, not only for our correction, but also for our comfort. We see his goodness not only in the blessings, but in the trials as well, for they testify to us that we have been found worthy to be tested in him. We see his hand not only in the good, but also in the bad, for we know that He is at work in all things for our good and that every pain, every tear, every hardship, every disappointment, every difficulty is working for us such a weight of glory that it is not worthy to be compared to what it is that we're going through. See, when we see him in everything, worship becomes the default setting of our heart. Joy becomes the default emotion of our life. See, there... there, I need you to see that there's a well deep below the atmosphere of your life that can fuel your life. The Bible says it this way, that that the tree that is planted beside streams of water bears fruit in every season. See, too many of us, I love you, I love you, too many of us are, 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 are depending upon rain that falls instead of rivers that flow. So if the atmosphere is right and the rain is good and everything, then I can bear fruit and everything can be hunky-dory and everything's wonderful. But, but put me through any kind of, of lack of rain and suddenly my joy and my worship dry up. But there are rivers, come on, hidden beneath the surface that if you will allow the, the roots to go deep enough, you'll find sources of joy hidden in places no one's ever gone looking for that will fuel your ability to produce a fruit that will abide beyond just the seasons where they should be bearing fruit. We need to learn to feed from what flows beneath the surface instead of what falls from the sky. There's no promise in the new birth of an easy, simple, pain-free life. That's, that's not, that's, if, if that was the gospel you responded to, I'm here to apologize to you because that preacher was trying to sell something to you instead of trying to give something to you. The reality is there's no promise of a pain-free life. The promise is that there is a source that is in an unseen realm that can satisfy you beyond anything that the atmospheric conditions of your life can bring. I, I, like, I like to eat sacred cow burgers. And one, one, of, one of Christians, especially athlete Christians, favorite verses, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They love, man, man athlete, athletic apparel companies selling to Christians love that verse. Because athletes love to get the reference tattooed on their body. But no one ever says in the interview after they lost the game, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We only quote that verse going into the game thinking that that means Jesus is going to make us win the game. No, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All means all. So I can can win the game through Christ who gives me strength. I can lose the game through Christ who gives me strength. I can blow my knee out while playing the game and never play the game again through Christ who gives me strength. I can get the promotion at work through Christ who gives me strength. I can get fired through Christ who gives me strength. I can can buy the new house and pay for it through Christ who gives me strength. I can lose my house through Christ who gives me strength. I can worship him 
with a heart condition through Christ who gives me strength. I can worship him because of my healing through Christ who gives me strength. The source, what I'm trying to get you to see is the source is the same. The source didn't change. So the atmospheric conditions don't, don't, don't shift, don't alter, don't limit, don't increase my worship. Because my source isn't about what's around me, it's about what's underneath me. So how deep is your worship well? Can, 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 can a bad day kill your joy? Okay, I'm going to back up. Can a bad 30 seconds kill your joy? Because <laughs> all of you are like, yeah, a whole bad day? Yeah, done, gone. <laughs> Do you realize that, there, that, that in him, in him, just look, when I was hiking, there, there were moments where I literally thought, am I even on the path anymore? <laughs> oh, yeah, look down. I'm just trying to get you to look down. Are you on the path? Are you on the path? I'm not saying the path is going to be easy and the path is never going to have weeds growing over it. I'm saying, are you on the path? One test for yourself if you're on the path. Is there joy there? Is there joy there? I'm not talking about surface level giddy happiness. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about something deeper that abides deeper. Because if, if, if a bad moment, listen to me, if a bad moment can kill your joy, then it can kill your worship, and the Father is seeking those who worship. And I, we say it a lot around here, I'm going to keep saying it, your problem is not your problem, your proximity is your problem. So if you, if you allow yourself to be unaware of your proximity to him, that's when that becomes your problem. Go deep today, past the circumstances, into the promise and into the person of who Jesus is. I've taught on this before, so I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but, but worship, come on, there are layers to the fuel of worship. Four simple ones, if you want to just jot these down, I don't, again, I don't have time to, to teach through these, but, but the, the, the layers that I, I teach in worship are, the, the first layer is what he's done. If you need some fuel for your worship, just think back, what has he done for you? Hint. He died for you. He rose again for you. He pulled your runny, stinky butt out of the places that you put yourself and pulled you into his kingdom. You need anything more than that to worship him? He did that, but also get, get practical. Come on, where has he provided? Where has he, what, what has he done in meeting you in the hard places? Come on, some of you are sitting next to a spouse you shouldn't be married to right now, but he redeemed your marriage and brought you back together. Others of you, he has healed your bodies and walked you through horrible things. Some of you have, have gone in, into addiction and out of addiction because of him. Come on, we worship him by those things. That's fuel for your worship. Let the root go deep. Nothing might be happening right now, but come on, let the root go deep. What has he, he done? What has he done? That's one level. Another level as we go down is what is he doing? This is harder to see sometimes, isn't it? But through him, our birthright is that we have the ability to see what he's doing. Do you realize that? Jesus said, without being born again, you cannot perceive the kingdom of God. Read that in reverse. Being born again, you can see the kingdom of God. You can see what God is doing. So that begins to fuel our worship. We say, God, I don't, I don't understand maybe why you're doing it, but I see what you're doing. You're working new things into my heart. You're breaking off old things from my life, and you're making me new evermore, every day, to look a little bit more, walk a little bit more like Jesus. So that's another layer, another layer beneath that. When you, can't see, when you can't remember what he's done, when you can't see what he's doing, come on, then we rest on his promises. 
That's where you crack this puppy open. And you remember his promises like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, I'm not, I'm not looking for outcome. I'm looking for his presence with me. And the layer beneath that one is who he is. Come on, when, when, you, when you can't remember what he's done, when you can't see what he's doing, when, when no promises seem real to you, he is still good. That's why we always try to end our worship singing just that, that, that just declaring who he is. Because we're trying to teach you to tap all the way down into that level of the, of the worship well within our hearts. But see, here's, I, I got to get here. I got to get here and then we'll close. But our, our new birth grants us access to not only perceive, but also participate in what God is doing. This is where the Christian life gets exciting to me. I don't, just, I don't just get to see it. I don't just get a ticket into the game. I get called onto the field. I don't, I don't just get to witness what he's doing. I get to work with him in what he's doing. And that is, that is our birthright as believers. And here's the cool thing. That happens in worship. That happens as we worship. As we worship, we are participating in what God is doing in the earth and ultimately bringing about the fulfillment to the prayer he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that when we see heaven, all the time when we see heaven, every time when we see heaven in the scriptures, guess what's going on there? Worship. You want to make earth a little more like heaven? Worship. I'm not talking about putting Caleb in your iPod and walking around singing weird songs at work and getting people to look at you funny. If you want to do that, fine. Just don't tell me you go to church here. And uh, <laughs> I love you. Um, talk about our lives being worship, our lives being fueled with the joy that is found in him. Amen? As we worship, we are being agents fulfilling the prayer God taught us to pray. Because worship is the atmosphere of heaven. Worship is the language of heaven. Worship is the rhythm and the song of heaven. Worship is the purpose of heaven. So as we learn to walk out daily life worship, come on, we're bringing heaven to earth. Do you realize that you just being filled with joy, that's all it takes? See, we talk about, we talk about bringing the kingdom into all areas of life, and you think that means you got to have uncomfortable, awkward conversations with people you do not like. Was I not supposed to be that honest? I'm sorry. You th we, th we, we somehow make this into like uh, th those of us who are introverts, we have to go out and like street witness to people we don't know and, 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 and yell at people for the sin in their life and, and somehow convince people that we're right and they're wrong. When in reality, all we need to do to see the kingdom come is be filled with the joy of the Lord. I remember I, I worked a secular job for a while when we planted the church. <clears throat> I had worked there for, for a little while, and about six or eight months, and somebody came to me. They were going through some problems in their marriage, and they said, you're, you're, you're like a Christian. You're a pastor, right? I said, yeah, well, can I talk to you about my marriage? I said, I'm sure. So we, we started talking, and, and I said, well, can I ask why, why? Did you just come to me because I was a pastor? And they said, no, I came to you because you're the only people I know that seems like they actually like their spouse. 
You just seem to, you seem to when you talk about your wife, you, you get happy, and I don't know anybody like that. All you gotta be is filled with joy. Sometimes all it takes to be that thing that Doug was talking about with the aroma letting out is just let the joy out a little bit. Just let the joy out. And when, 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 our, when, our, when our roots go deep enough, come on, that joy gets drawn up in areas we don't, we're not even aware of. I never walked into that place and thought, you know what I need to do? I need to talk about how great my wife is. No, she's just friggin' awesome, so I just like to talk about how great she is. See, what I'm, what I'm trying to get us to see is this. Simply being alive in him is all it takes to bring his life into places. But when we try to make other things, when we try to find other things to fulfill those empty places in our life, we're actually choking out the very life that Christ is trying to bring into all those areas. So my homework for you today. Ask yourself. Maybe talk about these in your belong group. Where are you searching for your security, identity, and felicity? Are you looking for them in other places? Are you... Are you trying to find some joy in things outside of him? How's your worship tank? Is life, is the circumstances of life, is it zapping you dry from being able to worship? If that's the case, I want to just ask, what's fueling your worship? Are you letting letting what he's done and what he's doing and his promises and who he is be the thing that causes you to worship or, or, or is, does some predetermined outcome need to happen for you in order for you to worship him? Because I'm, I'm here to tell you, he's, he's better than you know. He's so much better than you know. And he is working for you such a weight of glory that whatever you're going through right now is not even going to be worthy to be compared to what he's doing in you right now. And only a God as good as God could do those things together. Only a God as loving and gracious and miraculous and fantastic and amazing could hide such deep joy and such sorrow. But he's that good. He's that good. And he's that good today. And he'll be that good tomorrow and he'll be that good after tomorrow's tomorrow. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to move into our response. We believe as a people that after we hear what God has spoken to us, it is only right and good for us to respond to what we've heard. So we respond a few different ways here as a people. The primary way is we, which seems very fitting today, we worship. What better way to respond to a message about worship than worshiping? I mean, we could take like a 30-point test if you want to, but I think worshiping is a better way to respond. So we're going to worship, we're going to sing to him, we're going to set our attention and our affection upon him. We're also going to remember the means by which we are able to, to come into his presence, to walk in proximity with him, and that is his broken body and his shed blood. So we're going to partake in... That was like a word from God. 
It was awesome. If I sounded like that the whole time, I'd seem way more prophetic. We're gonna, we're gonna partake of communion, celebrating the broken body with the bread, or we do have gluten-free wafers, celebrating the shed blood with the cup. We do have a completely gluten-free station all the way over here. We take by a method known as antiquation, where we take a piece of bread or wafer and dip it in the juice and partake. Here's what I wanna just say very briefly. These, these tables are open to anyone who's put their faith in Christ. If, if you don't have to have gone to church here before, be a member of this church or uh, ascribe to a certain viewpoint of, of things, there's no secret handshake or code word that you have to say to take a communion. They're open to all and you can come and partake as you feel led once we enter into worship. But what I do wanna say is this, if, if you're here and you're honestly just sort of seeking out what this whole church, Christian, Jesus, gospel thing is all about, we're not gonna ask you to pretend like you're a Christian when you're not. Because this is something that was given for believers to do together. So if, if you're not a believer, if you've not put your faith in Christ, we would ask that you would abstain from partaking in communion until such a time as you have. But if you're not a believer in Christ, I wanna just ask you honestly and openly, why not? because he's better than everything. And all the places that you're looking for safety and stability and security, all the places you're going to to try to tell you who you are, all the places you're going to try to find happiness and joy and fulfillment, they're leaving you empty. And if they haven't let you down yet, they will. Good you can drink no chemical you can put in your body, no relationship you can have with a person, no thing you can buy, no accomplishment you can achieve is ever gonna satisfy your soul because it was built to be with him. And by his broken body and his shed blood, he has made a way for you to be with him. So if you're here this morning, I'm gonna ask you, to repent and believe. It's a simple process. We say it this way, it's simply admitting and abandoning those things, those places you're going and looking for all of that. It's admitting that they're empty and hollow and wrong and abandoning them, letting them go. And then belief is just embracing Jesus, trusting him to be the place where you find your security, identity, and felicity. as we respond, we're going to sing. We're going to take communion. Hopefully, if you're here, you're going to repent and you're going to believe the gospel. The last way we respond is down in this lit area, back in the back of the room over here, we, we've got to have some people standing there that would love the chance to pray with any and everyone who has any need today. If you're going through something in your body, if you're going through something in your life, maybe the reports of the attacks have caused you to just be gripped with fear and you need that broken off your life. Maybe you're struggling with a physical ailment like I did or nothing like mine and you wanna see God heal you. Listen, if, if, if he healed me, he only healed me because I'm such a better person than you are. You guys are mean. No, the Bible says he's no respecter of persons. I got asked the other day by somebody, he said, why did God heal you and not somebody with cancer? I said, I have no idea, but I'm not complaining. And I'll pray for anybody with cancer that wants me to pray for them. Whatever your need, physically, emotionally, financially, maybe you're going through some stuff, we'd love the opportunity to stand and pray with you. I know for some of you over here, it's a long walk. 
It's worth the walk. If you don't like the prayer you get, we'll give you your money back because it's free. We're going to enter back into worship in a little bit. Somebody will come up here and lead us in our giving as well as we respond in that way and as we worship God with our finances and giving back to him from that which he has given to us. Right now, I just want to pray for us one last time. Holy Spirit, I thank you. God, that you've given us the open invitation to worship you. Jesus, I I rejoice in that you've given us the ability to see what you're doing and participate in what you're doing. And that all of that finds its fulfillment as we simply learn to worship you with our lives and with our voice. God, would you come and meet with us again? revealing yourself to us in new and powerful ways as we exalt your goodness, as we magnify your name, as we, as we lift high the goodness that you revealed to us. Church, let's respond to the Lord.